Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? John Adams said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles, not only in the sense of the fundamentals, but also in the ethical sense. The habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership. Principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Hello and welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we explore principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty, and if you aren't yet subscribed to the Timeless and Timely newsletter or the Timeless Leadership podcast, where I regularly write about and cover these topics, please do so at www.timelesstimely.com. And if you haven't given us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate you doing that. It helps other people find the show. This week, we're exploring collaboration together. Now, collaboration is a word that gets glossed over far too much. We, we take it for granted. Now, the word itself, collaborate, comes directly from the Latin collaborare, literally, to work together. And it's a wonderful example of the English language working perfectly at times. It happens so infrequently, it's wonderful to see it like this. So think for a moment about what the ancient Romans had to accomplish in their day. You know, they began as a small Etruscan settlement, eventually establishing the city of Rome and all its grandeur. And then expanded that to an empire that extended from one end of the earth to the other. The Romans erected grand buildings and monuments. They established an intricate system of roads across the empire. They built aqueducts and sewer systems to support the populace. Now, this didn't happen because of Augustus or Hadrian or Constantine. It happened because the Romans worked Together, they collaborated. Even with their harshest enemies, they gave them the option of assimilating cultures or, well, becoming slaves. Now, those who assimilated worked together with the Romans to build greater things. And while we consider collaboration just another day at the office or another day on Zoom, it's core to how we show up and how we should expect others to show up. For only through working together can we build greater things. Renowned for his strategic and operational leadership and working together, Alan Mulally transformed a struggling Ford Motor Company into one of the world's leading automobile companies and the number one automobile brand in the United States. 
named number three on Fortune's list of world's greatest leaders and one of the world's most influential people by Time magazine. Alan Mulally's leadership as president and CEO of Ford Motor Company has been hailed by consumers and industry experts alike. In 2006, Ford suffered a $12.7 billion loss and a significant degradation in their stock value. With Alan's leadership to formulate a compelling vision, a comprehensive strategy, and a relentless implementation plan, Ford was able to develop a world-class product line of cars and trucks with ever-increasing productivity and to deliver profitable growth for all the company's stakeholders. Allen has become a go-to thought leader on strategic and operational leadership and his working together management system that he applies to leaders to encourage them to explore their own set of working together skills as applicable to their industry and particular organization. Prior to joining Ford, Allen led the transformation of Boeing into the number one commercial airplane company and aerospace company in the world. There, he served as executive president of the Boeing Company, president and CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes and of Boeing Information Space and Defense Systems. And if that's not enough, Allen has been named one of the 30 world's best CEOs by Barron's Magazine and Chief Executive of the Year by Chief Executive Magazine, among many other accolades, including being inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame in 2016. Alan, welcome to Timeless Leadership. What have you been up to? Well, first of all, uh, good morning to you, Scott, and I'm glad to be with you. And uh, I am retired now from the Ford Motor Company, and also I'm retired from uh, the Boeing Company. And I was honored to serve both those great companies, and I'm now uh, serving on the board of Alphabet and Google and the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and Carbon 3D, and also a Blue Current. And I've also really enjoyed uh, teaching about working together in leadership and also consulting. And it's good to be back with you again. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about who some of the leaders were in your life that inspired you? Maybe leaders that you read about or whose work that you had read or maybe who you experienced firsthand in one form or another. Well, it's a very interesting question because I, I have been asked uh, a lot about that. And my answer is might sound a little bit different than what you would normally hear is in that I have learned so much from every person that I have worked with or interfaced with, uh, starting with my, my parents, which had a lot to do with the formation of me as a person and as a leader, um, my, uh, my church leader, the my teachers, the kids in the class, uh, and then all the way through you know high school and then college, University of Kansas, and engineering and and Boeing and Ford, and it's interesting because uh, I've learned maybe some of the most important lessons from people that I that I didn't want to uh, emulate or be like, and so it was uh, always really uh, interesting to me to be on a journey of lifelong learning and continuous improvement. And, and so I, I knew where I was going. I knew I wanted to be a working together person and, and, uh, and work together for the greater good. And so I just, I learned everything I could from every person I dealt with about what really works and what, uh, especially what works for me and what works for others. 
What a what a great spirit, a great attitude. I, I hope other people kind of pick that up along the way because I, I think these are part of the leadership lessons that uh, you provide to us. And in that spirit, you know, when you think about the times that you were in at, at Ford and Boeing, uh, each of these institutions had a crisis that they were working through. At uh, Boeing, uh, 9-11 happened while you were there, which was pretty significant to the airline industry. And then, of course, what you had when you stepped into Ford in terms of a uh, financial debacle, uh, how, how did you meet those challenges? And particularly, I'm thinking about your time at Ford. When you, you arrived, you said you were an airplane guy who came to the industry that had always been dominated by automotive people. How, how did you overcome some natural doubts that people might have had? Well, good questions. So uh, kind of going back to um, Boeing and Ford. So I had the uh, honor to serve at, at Boeing for 38 years and then also to serve uh, as a leader of uh, Ford for, for eight years. And uh, I also had the honor to serve on the design team of every Boeing airplane uh, that we're all familiar with, the 707, the 727, the 737. I love to say these names. The 747, the 757, the 767. I was the chief engineer and the, the uh, uh, program uh, manager for the 777 airplane program. And then as a CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, I uh, helped launch the 787. And if you look at all of the airplanes that are flying today in the world, uh, nearly 70% of the seats are in Boeing airplanes. And so uh, to have the honor to serve and create safe and efficient transportation was phenomenal. Also, um, we, Boeing, bought McDonnell Douglas and uh, at the end of the Cold War, and we were going to integrate, U.S. was integrating all of their aerospace capabilities. And they asked me, who had spent most of my life in commercial airplanes, to integrate all the defense and space assets of these three great companies, of Boeing and uh, McDonnell Douglas and Rockwell. So, the launch vehicles, the fighters, the bombers, the uh, the satellites, the helicopters, the space shuttle, the space station. And so that was so uh, exhilarating, but it was really a big deal. It was a big deal as a, as a challenge as was a 9-11 at commercial airplanes and because it really needed uh, working together. And so um, throughout all my career at Boeing, it was always about uh, teamwork is always about uh, clear, compelling visions, a strategy for achieving it, and then also the relentless implementation of this creativity and this innovation. And then to your, uh, the essence of your question, I, I never thought I was going to leave Boeing. And uh, I had some offers, of course, along the way, but I loved Boeing. I had one more airplane that I wanted to help uh, launch, and that was a replacement for the 737 and the 757. Then I get this call from Bill Ford. I'm going, Whoa, Bill Ford, the great grandson of Henry Ford. And of course, if you're into innovation and engineering, uh, Henry's one of our heroes and um, safe and efficient transportation changed the world again. And, and so I, I was very fascinated by this. I asked Bill all these questions and Bill's a great leader and really neat person. And, and what was happening and the more he shared with me, Scott, the worse it got. I mean, it was just uh, they were in really deep trouble. They had become very regionalized. They had no synergy. They, it was very hard for them to compete against the world-class companies. 
And also they had become a fast follower on technology. So they weren't competitive with their vehicles. And they also had um, labor agreements that weren't competitive and they couldn't make money on any of their vehicles. And they also had, they had purchased uh, Aston Martin and Jaguar and Land Rover, Volvo and Mazda. So everybody didn't know what the blue oval stood for anymore. And because there's a house of brands. So the clearly it was a pretty tough situation. The first forecast I saw for profits for the entire year when I arrived was a, a $17 billion loss. And we achieved that. So this clearly wasn't a, um, a forecast accuracy issue. This was a, we needed a different vision, a different strategy and a plan. And of course, to your point, I was coming from, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was the first CEO in the automobile industry that, not grew, that did not grow up in the industry. And so they wanted to know who this person was. And and, and I remember the first press conference, um, to your point, Bill walked me out. All of the press were there from all around the world. They wanted me to see who this guy was, this new CEO of Ford. And then Bill went over and sat down. So I had an in, impromptu press conference. And I just had gotten there. And so one of the, they started asking me all these questions and did I know how bad it was and blah, blah, blah. And uh, one of the journalists finally said, so Miss Malali, you know, uh, with all due respect, this is, we're in a horrible situation. And, and, uh, and you are from the aerospace industry and, and you don't know anything about how complex this industry is, including the products. So what does it mean to us that you're here and you don't know anything about our business? And how complex it is. And I said, well, I sure agree with you. It's a very complex business, starting with the vehicles themselves. And you think about a, these fabulous cars and trucks. I mean, they average around 10,000 parts. And you think about the quality and the fuel efficiency and the safety and the systems engineering, very sophisticated price. I might point out as a leader of the 777 airplane that it has 4 million parts. It flies halfway around the earth world and it stays in the air. The next day, three-inch headlines in the Detroit News. I think we got the right guy. So to answer your question, I think that uh, my credibility and my authenticity and the fact that I had done it uh, many, many times and I knew what to do and it was all going to be based on people working together and including everybody, all the stakeholders, that um, the press and everybody else just really rallied behind our Ford because people love Ford and they want it to be successful. So I think... And the fact that I, I had done it, but also uh, that I was going to include everybody and share with uh, everybody the status along the way, uh, got everybody on board to to uh, save our Ford. I love that story. It's it's a perennial favorite. And I, look, I could listen to you tell it 15 times, and, and I would still love it just as much. Well, let, let's get back to uh, this concept of working together uh, in just a moment. But bef- before we do that, uh, something that you said there really struck me, and, and it ties in with the extraordinary power of leader humility, the book that uh, you authored a chapter of that, that uh, Marilyn Gist, our uh, guest here on the humility episode, uh, talked with us about. And you, you, you talked about your authenticity, and I think part of your charm and, and your authenticity is your humility. And it, doesn't come off as disingenuous. It's it's entirely inherent and believable. 
And one thing I noticed uh, was that in the transition, when, when Bill Ford decided to step out of the role of CEO, look, this is the, the, the great grandson of Henry Ford, of the founder of the Ford Motor Company. And he had the humility to say, Bill had the humility to say, hey, I'm not the right guy for the job. Can you talk a little bit about what humility means in terms of doing things that might not seem like what a leader in the traditional sense might do? That's a, uh, Scott, that's a really uh, thoughtful and insightful question because, uh, and just a little bit more about Bill Ford, when, I, when he was recruiting me, I actually ended up declining because I, I wanted to create the next new airplane at Boeing. And he said to me, uh, Alan, if you need to be the chairman and the CEO to come to uh, Ford to help save us, uh, I'll give up being the chairman also. I mean, wow. And, I, and my answer, Scott, was, Bill, I, if I were to come, I would only come if you would remain as the chairman and I would be the CEO and we'd have a partnership because what we have to do to save our company is going to take both of us. And you're the titular head of the Ford family. And we all have to be aligned with what we have to do. And he told me later that that was, that was one of the most incredible things anybody had ever told him. And and you think about the humility in the, in the best sense of the world is that in the word is that we only know what we know and we all know what we do know is a very small portion of what there is to know. So to appreciate that, and know that you're going to join with your talents, but you're also going to utilize all of the talents is uh, the, the most unbelievable, extraordinary uh, value of leadership humility. Mm. Well, that that's perfect because that gets us directly to working together. Now, this is a principle that you have expounded upon your entire career, and you've brought it together in the working together management system. Can you talk a little bit about where it came from and how working together in particular in a crisis is absolutely essential? Oh, you bet. And boy, is it ever. It work, Working together works uh, to create businesses, nonprofit, uh, for-profit, um, because what you're really about is delivering profitable growth uh, for the benefit of all the stakeholders uh, and the greater good. Because if you're not profitably growing, then you're dying as a company. And so it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing because you get to do more about what you're in business for, what your vision is, no matter what your business is committed to. So um, throughout all of the years at Boeing, on every airplane program, it's like an invention. So it's a big innovation. It's a very entrepreneurial because you're creating something out of nothing that's going to create value for a lot of people around the world. And so on an airplane program, you have over a million people that are working on a new airplane program around the world. They're just, you know, remember, uh, 4 million parts halfway around the world, the safety requirements, the fuel efficiency, the environmental standards. And so uh, it's really important that everybody knows what the, the vision of the, of the airplane is, but also they know the strategy and they know the plan. And that plan means not only the technical strategy, but also uh, what's the people strategy? What's the alliance strategy? What's the uh, the performance requirements? And when you're doing this, 
uh, over a four or five year period. And so you deliver all these requirements on schedule and it's an invention. So you can see that, that working together, including all the stakeholders and everybody knowing what the vision is, knowing what the strategy is, knowing what the plan is, and then also an environment and a culture where everybody knows what the status is against the plan, whether it's going per the plan or whether you have areas need special attention. That's why the color coding was always just fabulous because uh, every member of the team in the business plan review shares their vision and their strategy and plan for the overall uh, program. And then they share uh, green. Is it on plan for that element? Uh, yellow, they have an issue, but they have a solution. Or red, they have a new situation, which is a gem now, not a problem. They have a, something to not follow the plan, and they are working on a solution for it. And so everybody has to know this. And now everybody also has to commit to the behaviors of working together. Like we're going to listen to each other. We're going to trust each other. We're going to appreciate each other. And because the other part of it is that we're also going to have fun doing it, but we're never going to have fun at anybody else's expense. And the reason that that's so important on working together is that if it's not a safe environment and just to a smart environment, then people, and if people think they're going to be made fun of and they're going to be made a, a victim, then they're not going to feel comfortable sharing what the real situation is in their area of responsibility. So uh, never a joke at anybody else's expense. And so the whole idea of working together is we're going to commit to this process of working together and we're going to commit to the behaviors that go with that. And as a leader, the most important thing that maybe I have done over the years is to hold myself and the entire team responsible and accountable for following the working together process, including the business plan review and the creating value roadmap and a profitable growth plan and also the expected behaviors. And if that doesn't work for you, as you know, Scott, uh, we always said to everybody that the first principle is we love, we love the people, we love the talent. And if it doesn't work for you to commit to this process and the behaviors, then it's okay. You're choosing to move on because we have got to have zero tolerance for violating the process and behaviors. And that's why it's worked so effectively. That's great. You know, not, not putting any judgment on the people there. It's just a decision that was mutually reached through uh, their decision not to act in a certain way and the decision of the company to uphold certain uh, values and behaviors. So I, I want to get back to the, the BPR process in just a second, but I, I also want to, just touch on something you just said there about loving people up. Now, this this is really one of the first principles. It's it's the first principle in uh, your working together management system. Can can you talk a little bit about the role of love and leadership and service as they come together? Oh, absolutely. I the we all know uh, that who you are as a person, why you are who you are. And the more you understand that and what you do as a leader, as a, as a father, as a spouse, as a community leader, as a, as a friend and how you do that is going to have more to do with your effectiveness as a leader than anything else. And so 
as a as a human being in the formation of of uh, me and and also formation as a leader, I was very much influenced uh, by starting with my parents with these fundamental principles of leading and being and doing from a position of humility, love, and service. And they were great examples. And just a couple of fun things about that, Scott. So every morning my mom or my dad would say, so remember, honey, that the purpose of life is to love and be loved. And I go, oh, yes, yep, I got that. Thank you. And then they'd say, but remember, it's in that order, to love and be loved. Thank you. Then the next day, my mom or dad would say, well, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Yep, I understand that. Then the next day would be uh, to serve is to live. Good. Yep, got that. And then the next day would be uh, um, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Gee, that makes sense. And then uh, another time would be if you learn to work together with others and appreciate all the talent coming together, you're going to be able to do a lot of good uh, for the greater good around our world. So in a way, uh, and I, we didn't have very many resources. And so I started, I, I just wanted a pair of Levi's and Norwegian shoes. And I just wanted to fit in and just like all of us. And, and so uh, I started all my businesses. I had TV guide routes and lawn mowing businesses and paper routes. And I was a, a bagger at the Dillon's grocery store and then a checker. I was, and I found out that if you really love them up, all those customers and you serve them, my gosh, not only uh, is it fun and they're pretty, but they're so appreciative. I can remember I was the only person I know of that was a checker at the grocery store. And as they came through the line and I checked, then they'd actually give me a tip. I mean, so, so this working together really works. And it's also based on these fundamental principles of how you want to treat people and how you want to be, uh, want to be treated. So uh, I think it's so important for people to develop that that really uh, deep awareness about who they are and both and how they how they impact others because the more that you understand that the more effective you're going to be by working together with others it it sounds as if your parents equipped you with like leadership beatitudes at a young age and and that's interesting because it really flows into well I think what we're hearing a lot more of these days in terms of well, emotional intelligence and uh, empathy and some of these more uh, intangible virtues of leadership. And, and I'm wondering, can you really teach someone to care? Can you can you teach empathy? Well, that's a really important question because. Um, and it goes back to just using one example about humility. Um, what people want to know, what all of us want to know about a leader, every new leader that we meet in our workplace, um, at home, everywhere, uh, community, is three questions. One, um, who are you? And are you here? Are you here for you? Are you here for the greater good? Is it about you or we or us? I mean, really, who are you? What are your values and, and what do you believe in? The second 
question that we always want to know is where are we going? You're the leader. And so you can imagine just the Boeing and the Ford story or being a parent. Um, where are we going? And the third one is, do you see me? Am I part of the plan? And it's back to the love them up. I mean, we're human beings. We're, we're committing our life to these great projects. And are we, are we seen? Are we valued? Are we appreciated? And so, um, and we, and, and we all know that. And we know that by their actions. We don't, we're not going to know things we can't see, but we're going to see their behaviors. And so the most important thing for all of us is that we demonstrate the behaviors that share with people who we are. Do we really care? And also, where are we going with clarity? And also, do you see me? Are we including everybody along the journey? Now, I think that if you really want to accomplish great things, then that's the way you need to approach it. And anything less is going to, is going to get in the way of you um, making the biggest contribution you can for the most amount of people. Now, how you learn that, uh, I know how I learned it, the way I grew up uh, initially and then all the way through. I was, I was so focused on, on service, and I also knew that I only knew what I knew, which was a small portion of what there is to know. So humility was you know, easy. And then the love part, uh, I mean, we're human beings and we get this, we get this one chance to work together and, and be together and do something important. And so, um, loving them up is just, I mean, it's just so fun to be able to do this and so, uh, satisfying to meet meaningful accomplishment. And you're only going to do that, uh, if you really do appreciate others. Well, that reminds me of that famous quote from, the little prince what's essential is invisible to the eye and you know i was doing a little research on that quote and found that that's only part of the uh, quote the the entire quote actually speaks exactly to what you just mentioned it is quote here is my secret it's very simple it's only with the heart that one can see rightly what is essential is invisible to the eye End quote. And I thought, wow, the, the heart that gets right to what, what it means in terms of empathy and loving them up, just as you said. And, and, and you can't fool anybody. People, people know when they're appreciated and they, they know where you're coming from. And you think about, you know, another great quote is uh, uh, work is love made visible. So you think. Think, just think that if, if, uh, if every day that we each considered what we're doing uh, is what we love or not, then the thing that would be made the most satisfying for us and everybody else that we deal with is that what we have chosen to do is what we love. And so we're making that visible. It's really clear to everybody. And once you move to a place where you're doing that, you're moving from I to we to uh, about us to service um, you're on your way and everybody everybody wants to be part of it oh that that's interesting that move from i to we you know i, I think as a as a young executive we, we see a lot of young people especially a lot of these younger folks uh, online who are you know, just trying to make a name for themselves and, and they tend to be very 
well, individually focused. And yet, as you said, as we move further in our career, we understand the importance of we, of working together. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how management has traditionally rewarded those who are well, individual contributors with management positions. In other words, you know, you get to be so good at a particular uh, technical function, uh, we're going to make you management now. And I, I know this happened to you at Boeing. And how, how does that kind of scenario either prepare or greet an unprepared person uh, for, you know, management, which is really a very different set of skills? Another great question, and the the most important thing about that question is to deal with it, um, because we're all going to uh, evolve through our lives and have opportunities to grow technically on a, on a functional skill, like you said, but also on our working together skills. And then the utmost of working together, too, is uh, being able to lead a multidiscipline teams. And so my thought about that is, uh, is that the, when you come out of, out of college, you, you're really focused on a functional skill, whether it's engineering, manufacturing, procurement, communications, whatever. And so a very natural thing is to commit to be the very best that you could be at that technical skill. And that also means a commitment to lifelong learning and continuous improvement. And so that's the first part. And, and that's why they hired you. And now the other reason they hired you is that no one does this by themselves. So working together is another skill. And you can start developing that working together skill as you are continuing to develop your functional skill. And so uh, that what happens next is that people will say, oh, you seem to have an aptitude and a desire to work together with others. Let us teach you about supervision. And I remember this the story that you're referencing about me is that when they asked me to be a supervisor, they I said, what does a supervisor do? And they said, well, we're going to assign you a dynamite employee from Caltech or Harvard, or Stanford, or University of Kansas, and just like yourself. And we'd like you to help them uh, contribute and be the best they can be. And I go, oh, well, I get that. And so in my mind, uh, that's what I thought my job was, was to create this person in my image. Well, my first employee actually quit. And and he walked in after I'd given him 14 different suggestions, revisions to his technical work. And he had re- revised his his, um, his coordination sheet 14 times. He brought his his uh, his work, technical work, and he set it on my desk on the 14th time. And he said, okay, now, Alan. Before you give me your another suggestion for improvement, I'd like you to know that I'm quitting. I said, no, Mike, you're quitting? I said, why? He said, well, I think we passed the point of diminishing returns about on the third revision. And I said, but I just wanted to help you be the best you could be. He said, well, you're doing a great job of that. But I think maybe you might want to think about what Boeing's really asking you to do when they ask you to be a supervisor or a manager. I said, well, tell me more about that. He said, well, Got a lot of people working on this program, and maybe they want you to tie me and link me into the bigger picture. Where are we going? What's this airplane program about? What's it doing for the good of the world? And then also, what's the strategy for achieving it? 
And then where are we on the plan? And where does my role fit in? And oh, by the way, um, am I networked with the right people? I mean, you know that. I mean, you have a perspective that I don't have yet. So am I working with the right people in my function, but across my function, in engineering, manufacturing, procurement? And also, do I have the right tools? I mean, you and I arrived, and we were at the point where we're moving from analog to digital technology. And I actually had, I arrived at Boeing with a slide rule. Now I got an HP 35C. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a digital wizard where I can do a discounted cash flow in addition to technical calculations. So do I have the right tools? I said, boy, that's great stuff, Mike. I said, so if I, I want to be that way. I want to be that kind of leader. So if I do that, will you stay? And he said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I think you're going to be a great leader someday. But right now, I just can't be micromanaged like this. We stayed in touch over all the years, Scott. And he's had a great career, too. And, and I am so thankful. Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of employees that I have had over the years, uh, employees over the years, and my first one quit. And the lesson I learned out of that was right back to what my real job is if I'm going to be a supervisor and a manager. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody wants to do that. Some people want to be the very best technical skill they can be, but they also are going to have to learn to be a working together person. And so I think if you learn to do both, then you're going to have some great options on technical excellence, but also on supervising and managing going forward. Isn't that cool? That is such a cool story. I mean, to be able to get to, 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 to take that as well, look, as, as we go back to the, the BPR process, uh, you know, that's a gem and, and you just, you get to polish it up and you, you, you've turned, you know, the, the red to the yellow, to the green, uh, many times over. So let's, let's do that. Let's talk about BPR, uh, the BPR process and yeah, let's go back to that that first BPR meeting that you led at Ford, introducing the Ford executive team to a completely new way of doing things and how it was a, just a fundamental shift in the culture and thinking there. Absolutely. Um, well, as you well remember, that was, that was a very tense time. Uh, everybody was scared to death. They knew we were going to lose $17 billion because we shared it for, with them for the first time. And, um, and they knew and they wanted to know all about my working together and how we're going to come together on a vision and strategy and a plan and how we're going to implement it. So I, I share with them the process and especially the creating value roadmap where we're going to define the vision, the strategy and the plan that we thought would deliver profitable growth, deal with all of the existing reality situations. And we decided to, to uh, integrate the company worldwide to have a one forward to uh, restructure our business, to match our production, the real demand, also to invest in all the new cars and trucks that people wanted and value during the worst of times, take out a small home improvement loan of $23.5 billion, and then also work together as one team with our working together principles and practices. So uh, the key to that is then is the business plan review where every week we get together with the entire leadership team all around the world, and then we review the status against the plan, and we color code them. So we're starting to become a cohesive leadership team and we're listening to each other and we're sharing and and it's going pretty well, except all 300 charts are green. And so I stopped the meeting and I said, you know, 
uh, you know, and I know now we're going to lose $17 billion. Is there, is there anything that's not going well in your area of responsibility? And of course, eye contact goes down to the floor. And in private conversations, they told me that if in the culture before, if people shared that they had a problem, then they seemed to disappear because they were of the school, just like a lot of companies still are today, that you only bring an issue to your supervisor or your manager if you have a, a solution. Well, now you're managing a secret and, and everybody's stressed out because they're, they're the only one that knows it and they can't get help. And so I said, so I kept sharing with them, uh, we got to share what the real situation is or we're not going to be able to move forward together. And so um, a few weeks later, the leader of North America, uh, they had a problem with the liftgate actuator on the new edge that was being launched out of Oakville, Canada. And so the night before the business plan review, uh, up comes the launch chart and it's green, green, green on functional excellence, uh, uh, schedule compliance and, and the financial impact. And the leader said, you know, I think he's one of those red things Alan's talking about. And I think it was in the American Icon book. And it said uh, one, a couple of the senior leaders, vice presidents said to this leader said, well, you can, you know, color it red, but good luck. It's nice to know you. You had a great career. So he said, well, we got to trust Alan, trust this process. And so we get together the next day, the business plan review, we're going through the green charts and, and we get to this launch and up comes this red chart. And the air is being sucked out of the room and people are looking down at the floor and they're wondering, oh no, what is going to happen to this leader with this red item? So I started to clap. And uh, later they all told me that they thought that was a sign. That meant that I was, uh, I was going to ask the two big doors in the Thunderbird room to open up behind me. Two large human beings were going to come in and then they were going to extract this leader because he had a red item. And I said, that is great visibility to the leader. And, um, and thank you so much for sharing it. And I said to the team, is there anything that you can think of right away that we could help, uh, help this leader out? And three different leaders had suggested that along the lines of they've seen this before, they'll get the data over to them. Another one, the head of manufacturing said, you're going to need some manufacturing engineers uh, in Oakville to get all the parts switched out. I'll get them identified and get it, bring them up there. And so, we went on to the next green chart. Next week, they're all green except this one chart. And everybody's still looking at this leader because he's still there going, whoa. And then so next week, I even moved him over closer to me. And then now they, they were beside themselves. This guy's doing even better. He's still the only red item. And so I kept sharing with them. It's the only way we're going to be able to do this. And so uh, it turned to yellow and they had a solution and it turned to green. And all the vehicles started flowing around the world. Guess what the color of all 300 charts look like the next week? Like a rainbow. There's always a lot of green because there's always a lot of things going well, and you want to celebrate that in addition to the yellows and reds. And from that minute on, I knew and they knew and everyone knew, all the stakeholders, that we were these were gems. And like you said, we're going to polish them up and we're going to celebrate them because any uh, entrepreneurial invention, innovation, it's not going to go exactly for the plan. So the key is, is to have an environment and a culture where it's okay to share how it's going. It doesn't escape the responsibility of working on it. You're not going to come back next week and say to everybody, you know, I was really busy. I didn't have a chance to work on that red one. Never going to happen. And so all of a sudden, the working together and the cohesive leadership team 
in the way of making progress against a plan, that effectiveness just skyrockets. Isn't that fun? Well, all of this process, this transformation, it takes time. And Wall Street operates in terms of months and quarters, and, and businesses are under constant pressure. So how do you help preach patience to all stakeholders to make sure uh, that the process is given enough time? Great question. And the, the answer lies in the purpose of business. And the purpose of business is value creation over the long term. And I'll just use one example, and that's just profits, but cash flow is the same thing, is that uh, great companies that are effective are growing their profits year over year. And if you uh, just make a plot of your profits for the next five years and your cash flow and discount it back, that's the value of the corporation. That's 80% of the value. If you just go five years out. So the real, the way to, to manage a business is to, Agree on what you're in business for. Agree on the strategy for achieving it. And then look at the plan, uh, including what do the profits look like if you make these products and services over the next five years. And keep working on that by continuously improving the products so that the profits go up steadily. So, of course, Wall Street does look at the near term. But what they really want to know is what are you doing on the near term that's going to create value over the long term? And so the answer to your question is, is share with them where you're going. Share with them. So, and then if you need to make an investment that might decrease the profits next year for the long term, they'll know you're doing that for the right reasons. I'll give you a great example at Ford, the F-150, the number one truck for 50 years. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, just a fantastic vehicle that serves Everybody, their you know, their work, their their all their activities, the just a phenomenal vehicle because it's a fun, it's the most, it's the neatest truck in the whole world. And so every year we're continuously improving it, and for the long term. And so one decision that we made is we decided that aluminum now is would be appropriate to replace the steel on large portions of the vehicle, and. But we also knew uh, that to do that, we we're going to have to switch over the production on the F-Series production line. And so we'd lose a lot of production for this next year, and that would hurt the profits for the next year. But we also uh, calculated that the fact that that the vehicle got so much more fuel efficient and it had more capability and it was, it was even more um, uh, robust to, to the way it's used, that it would create even more value over the long term. So we told everybody that. We told all the investors and everybody. And our stock price actually went up because they knew, even though it was going to be a hit for the near term on profits, that we were taking the action courageously and with thought to improve this vehicle over the long term. So the answer is uh, you manage the business for the long term and you also share with everybody what the plan is so any near-term actions you're taking that might hurt you in the near term is going to everybody will understand it's going to create even more value for the long term isn't that cool that's that's what the investors want to know they're not investing just for tomorrow they're investing for you to create value in the long term they want you to be so successful over the long term so what's the plan isn't that great that is great 
That is so great. And, you know, you're constantly optimistic, Alan. And personally, I want to know, what does an angry Alan Mullally look like? <laughs> I'm not, I don't get angry, but I am. I do have a consistency of purpose, and, a, and I'm very disciplined. But I also have a, a very uh, specific uh, way of operating this working together, which is based on uh, coming at it from humility, love, and service, and also respect and discipline and encourage to keep moving forward and inclusion of everybody. And I remember um, kind of to your optimistic word, I'm, I am absolutely uh, grounded in reality uh, now and in the future and then having to always working on a better plan. One time, one person, they were writing an article about me, Scott, and, and they said, you know, Alan, he's always smiles and, uh, and he seems like a really nice guy. And the the person that they were interviewed said, "Well, that's true, um, but don't misconstrue his smile and the fact that he's a really nice guy with a lack of purpose in following the working together principles and practices." And they said, "This is when I was at Boeing." They said, "This man has a backbone of titanium," <laughs> and meaning that uh, you probably want to really understand this working together and be committed to following it, or he's probably going to give you a chance to, to serve somewhere else. Now you've undoubtedly heard the story of the Alan Mulally three reallys rule. <laughs> it's like somewhere, I don't know where I was, whether it's Boeing or Ford, but they made up um, a three-sided um, block, and they put on there three versions of my really. It had really, with just a period, and it had really with the question mark and it had really with an exclamation mark. And so they would sometimes uh, during a meeting, they would flip when I would say really, like really or really? Are you going to be kidding me? They they would flip it over to see if they got it right. That's that's just for fun. I'm, I'm very transparent. They, and then also the fact that they can give you feedback. I always learn a lot from too. So Scott, it's great to see you again. I'm glad you're going to share this uh, with the, uh, with others, because uh, working together is going to be needed more than ever around our world. We have very, very serious uh, issues and challenges, and that and they can be solved for the greater good by us really committing uh, to working together principles and practices. So thank you very much. Collaboration requires more than lip service. The spirit of working together combines other leadership virtues such as humility, understanding, accountability, integrity, and love that when taken together result in progress everyone can be proud of. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, for you are a leader.